What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Plastic Power Podcast. This is Starblast Studios alongside with Daredevil19. And once again on this episode, we have brought back the man, the myth, the legend, Jordan the Dragon Lee. What's up, guys? Happy to be back. Happy to have you here, man. Yeah. Very excited. Today on this episode, we're going to be talking about Jordan's fan manga, Dragon Ball Infinity. This is a very popular Dragon Ball fan manga. It has been around for quite a few years. A lot of people have talked about it. A lot of people have really enjoyed the story. And I, and like, I, I just figured it would be a great time, you know, as ever, to, you know, kind of go into it and see, a li- just to go in a little bit more as to, like, you know, what he was thinking about throughout the story. So, uh, so starting off with a brief introduction, um, if before anyone actually starts, you know, like, if you, if you don't know what Dragon Ball Infinity is, um, there will be a link in the description, whether it's on YouTube or Spotify that you're listening here from, uh, that is going to link you to the episode that's from Rising Fist. It has like the it has like the full like you know 40, 40 minute animation on there, which is really really good. I, I I even voiced in there as the main character of Time. It was really like one of my one of my most important like uh like things as a as a like voicing on anything really. So really hope you guys you know check that out. There's also some other videos as well, like you know from Mondo, like you know going over it. And there will be other links as well just to support Jordan's, um, uh, like, maybe his Patreon, everything like that in the description. So, but yeah. Uh, Jordan, so when it came to the mindset and the story that you wanted to originally tell, uh, what, what, what was it? Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, you know, going into Dragon Ball Infinity. Well, um... It's kind of, okay, so after I watched Battle of Gods, um, prior to that, you know, Dragon Ball had been over for a while. Yep. So, you know, Battle of Gods was a big deal. And, I, you know, I had a lot of things play out in my life before Dragon Ball Super came back. And uh, I had grown a lot as a person since I consumed Dragon Ball when I was younger. Um, I had done a lot of studying. I had done a lot of learning. And I never really took the time to go back and consume Dragon Ball again as an adult who was more intelligent and who understood what was going on better. I never took the time to do that. So when Battle of Gods came out, it was almost like it created that opportunity for me to just go back and look at it with uh, my new mindset. And um, I was a huge fan of uh, Egyptian mythology and Journey to the West and Chinese mysticism and stuff like that. So Battle of Gods particularly was very inspiring for me because, you know, it had been a long time since I'd seen Dragon Ball. And after all these years, when I finally did see it, it just so happened that they were doing something with the story that was very reminiscent of my personal preferences. So when I got to see Goku and and Beerus fight, and I got to see like a character who was based on basically one of my favorite characters in mythology face another character who was a representation of Egyptian mythology, it that was very inspiring because you know I, I was getting to see two of my favorite mythologies face each other in Battle yeah. of Gods. So that was a big part of the inspiration for Taima as a character because I had actually learned. Uh, during this time that there was a lot in common between Egyptian mythology and Journey to the West and Chinese mythology. So essentially my story is just a play on all of the things in Egyptian mythology that are extremely ridiculously similar to 
uh, things in Journey to the West in Chinese mythology. Um, just like Goku was based on Son Wukong, the main character of my story is based on an Egyptian god known as Bobby, who is, he's like the, he is the Egyptian monkey god. And him and Son Wukong have so much in common that it, it almost felt like a wasted opportunity not for me to, for me to not take advantage of it. Nah. So, I started workshopping this story and, uh, it, it just, it came out really well. Um, a lot of the stuff in the story, a, a lot of the story, a lot of the stuff that I tried to do in the story, I tried to be as Toriyama-esque as possible, and uh, I've talked about this with Heesh before, but like, Toriyama likes to do role reversal in in Dragon Ball, like he'll take a lot of stuff from Journey to the West and he'll kind of reverse the roles. Uh, for example, Goku's pure of heart at the, at the start of Dragon Ball and Bulma has impure intentions, and in Journey to the West, it's the exact opposite. The main character is pure of heart, and, and Sun Wukong doesn't have pure intentions. So he switched that around there. Uh, and I, since I caught on to the fact that that was kind of his storytelling style, I decided to do the same thing with Dragon Ball Infinity. So, for example, a great example of, of this is uh, Taima is a slave. Uh, at the start of the story. Yeah. And that was to parallel the fact that Sun Wukong and Goku both were completely free at the start of their story. Mm, like, on a, on a ridiculous level. Like, they can do whatever they want. They don't have to worry about anything. Uh, they're in a place where there's plenty of food, plenty of water. Uh, they basically live in paradise, and they're completely free. So Whereas you... Taima, he lives in the middle of the desert where there's nothing. Yeah, and, and you know he's being forced to work every day, and I wanted that to be a parallel to their lives, you know. And it's and it's like I love that because it's just like the, that whole parallel that just so happened to be there also like greatly ties to the connection of it towards you know Egyptian mythology and where you know the, like things originated from, like even going you know with with the pyramids and stuff like that. It's like that it, it's. It's multiple things being referenced. One thing being world reversal. One thing, you know, being like legitimately, you know, you could say was the, um, what you know was was the was was how the Hebrews were treated, you know, back you know in in, in Egyptian mythology. And it's just like there's there's so many parallels to it. It's just like it's so. I think it's just so interesting to see. It just it, and it comes off like you know so refreshing. Just how much like how much history and ref is being referenced. Not you know. From like just from not from just from like our world and such, but like you know in Dragon Ball in multiple different ways, it's like it's a really good refreshing thing, which is why I think a lot of people really enjoy the story. Well, yeah, Toriyama he mastered the art of referencing a thousand things at once. So essentially, what he'll do is he'll like tie so many things together that trying to comprehend everything that he's making reference to at once is actually difficult, and. You know, he's a huge nerd. He's a, he's a fan of, like, American films and, uh, you know, of course, the, the films from his era as a child, yeah. manga and stuff like that. And he, he is so creative in terms of his imagination that he can just put things in the art itself. Not even necessarily just dialogue, but he can just put things in the art itself that references different things from different forms of media, and he'll use it all at once. So you can look at one... A picture can say so much, and Toriyama, he really takes advantage of that in his stories. Uh, he's really mastered the art of not just referencing things through the story itself, but through the designs, through the art, uh, through the, the settings, 
stuff like that. So, you know, he's just got ridiculously good technique when it comes to making a story feel extremely rich, despite the fact that he's a he's a discovery writer. He's he has such a huge imagination and such a huge bank of uh, things that he's a fan of in terms of being a, a nerd that yeah. he just has a huge well to pull from in terms of like being creative in his story and that, that's kind of the case with me I'm, I'm just a huge nerd so I know a, a lot about a lot of different things and so that kind of gives me the opportunity whenever we're sitting and we're working out the story to like you know really be creative and use my imagination yeah you do got a creative mind just from that story but i i do know that you love like history like um it, it does show a lot in the story but yeah like the the way you really go in depth with like how you study stuff and readers appreciate stuff like that like you do have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things and that's perfect for someone writing a story too like how you're describing Toriyama pretty much you're you're very similar in a way and you can see how much Toriyama does inspire you as a as a manga creator and yeah. your story was very unique and entertaining and the story does intrigue you and pique your interest and you're curious as to what's going to happen. Uh, one thing, though, when when we first see Taima, how old is he? He is 12 years old. Uh, okay. And, and by the time he... Okay, so essentially I pick the age that Saiyans first start to have their growth spurt. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to pick the age where he's just at the verge of shooting up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. by the time he's in the he's in the arena and he's being he's being um, influenced by brood, that yep. causes him to shoot up. Yeah. Because he's in a situation where he's having to survive and that makes things more difficult for him. So essentially the idea is that being subjected to tough circumstances ends up making him bigger and stronger at a very young age. Yeah. He's only in the arena for like three or four years. Yeah. But like by the time he's out, like he's, you know, yeah, more, he's, he's yeah, he's fully grown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does, he does change a lot from the beginning of the, of the arena to the end of it. Yeah, and 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 uh, one thing people, like I said, I try to tell the story subtly through art, a lot like Toriyama. Like a lot of the st uh, the dialogue itself, a lot of people don't understand this about Dragon Ball, but the dialogue itself only tells part of the story. A lot of the story is in the art and in implications and stuff like that. Yeah. So, for example, um, the fact that Brood has a friend from uh, the the Thoth the race of the Thoth is there to suggest that he has grown as a person a little due to the fact that he has been subjected to somebody from an entirely different civilization who can teach him new things. Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, he didn't, he couldn't go visit the city. So the city came to him. So through, through Reiki, um, he shows up and, you know, he kind of, he kind of helps brood become a better person. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just uh, like so. so. Hold on, Reiki is the um, he he's the is he's the is he the like the other bird in there with him? Yeah, the, oh yeah, the other like you know yeah yeah. 
And it's just like it, it, I, I really liked what I what I enjoy about it. You know, towards the end is like you have two uh, different characters and such, kinding kind of having like so. Like by the time that they like you know Brood and Taima are actually fighting, you already have a decent understanding of 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 each other's motives. Like you know Brood, obviously you know being you know the father of Beerus and Champa, you know yep. in in this in this instance, you know having like but but he also has a the thing. It, it's like it's really interesting because. You wrote it in a way that makes it to where he has a perception of who he believes his children are, but it's ultimately incorrect because it's not based off of him seeing it. It's off of like you know what his uh, his wife you know has been telling him. He doesn't actually like you know fully you know get that. Oh, like and, and, it, and it's actually like I think you know done in a way where it seems deep. Like it, it seems like you know there's it's more humanized and such, but it's it's really not. And I've talked to you about this before. How in the instance you know Beerus is. You know, sorry, sorry, Shampa is eating the pain away of not having a dad, and you know Beerus is just yeah. you know sleeping all day because of a depression of a depression thing. And it's like I, I thought that was an interesting thing where it's just like he thinks he views that as a depression, but it's more so just the fact that they're just doing things based off of like you know the habits that they were born from. It's actually not him. It's his. It's uh. It's his wife. His wife is the one that's telling him all these things. So the whole point of that is she's looking at that from a feminine perspective. She doesn't understand that Beerus and Champa aren't the kids that she thinks that they are. Uh, The truth is that Beerus just wants to live like the Pharaoh. He doesn't care that his dad's in prison. He just wants to live the high life. And Champa's the same way. Like... He's actually yeah. more upset. Beerus is actually way more upset about the fact that he is living such a lowly life than he is his dad being in prison. He actually doesn't really care about that. His mom just sees him upset, and she just assumes that it's this really tragic thing that's going on. And I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, part of the reason I decided to do that is not only to like uh, create that illusion, but creating that illusion is really appealing to people who like deep uh humanizing stories when it comes to dragon balls so it allowed me to take advantage of that while also simultaneously creating this funny scenario where that's not actually the case so you have to be like really you have to be really intelligent to, to catch on to that but that's the point is like you look at it and if you're the type of person who likes drama and you like that type of storytelling you're going to just assume that that's the case because that's the kind of storytelling you like, but if you're if you're intuitive and you can catch on to the the more goofy aspects of the story, uh, you can pick up on the fact that you know it, that's not actually the case. As a matter of fact, I ended up dropping some bonus pages later uh, where Champa is uh, you know uh, he's just eating all of Beerus's scraps, and <laughs> Beerus actually makes it more clear in these bonus pages that he's actually just dreaming of being the pharaoh. He actually just wants to yeah. be in charge. He wants to have access to all the best food. Uh, you know, That's he, the he vibe I got from that from that part when they showed Chump on Beerus. I just thought they were just being them themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, another thing, like I was reading some of the comments, some people didn't even realize like you're you're hinting like, yeah, that's Beerus and Champa and, and some people didn't understand it. So you had other people saying if you didn't know, that's Beerus and Champa. But I, yeah. I do like how you threw them in there. You didn't have to, but you threw in that little, like, hey, guys, ch- check this out. <laughs> right. So right, I, I right. did like well, that, you know, too. 
If you don't realize that that is Beerus and Champa, <laughs> go back and rewatch yep. Dragon Ball Super until you understand who these characters are. <laughs> yeah. Beerus is one of is he he might be he's not my favorite modern Dragon Ball Super character, but he is probably one of the better one of my favorite. Like yeah, yeah, he's funny. He but- and Whis together i'd say in, in terms of like the pairs of characters that have been introduced to super he and Whis are my favorite new additions yeah sure. they are great on the screen and they do add like that comic relief now now that we see how they are and we know their personality well, is they're <laughs> a great representation of the duality of the series you know uh Whis oh. has very feminine traits uh beerus has very masculine traits uh Whis so you, this is, is what i mean man your mind you really yeah. <laughs> You really like analyze stuff, and that that's something that's really like pretty damn cool about how your mind works. So that, I, yeah. I I like how you do that. Like I don't always think of stuff like that. So it's it's always just real interesting hearing you. Well, hearing... I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that me and Toriyama are fans of a lot of the same things. Um, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like I said, whenever I was a, whenever I was younger and I used to watch Dragon Ball, I didn't understand all these things. But you know, I grew yeah. up like I had kids, I have a family now, uh, yep. and so like, and I and I actively work on myself. I, act, I actively try to be more intelligent. Uh, I actively yeah. take part in in researching things that I'm interested in, and yep. so you know, it's good for your mind for anybody. Ball, yeah, coming back to Dragon Ball. Um, was very different for me than most people. I would say in terms of like the new era of Dragon Ball fans, because yeah, I just had a completely different perception of the series. That's why I'm a, such a super fan. Is because like honestly, like if I didn't like work on myself uh, as I was growing up and like do some research and like study history and mythology and stuff like that, I might not have enjoyed Dragon Ball Super as much as I did when it came back. Yeah. But because yep. I did do that, you know, I it, it you know it made me a fanatic. Like I love it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I love Super too. I I thought it would be different than what I was thinking, which I know a lot of people are probably thinking that too. But they yeah. said the story needed to be told, and I'm like, geez, if they really want them to tell it, like I wanna I wanna see it or read it. But I I love I Super. Actually, I'm so happy it came back. Yeah, I actually agree the story needs to be told because, like, Ultra yeah. Instinct and stuff like that, a lot of that stuff really does feel like a more proper ending to Goku's, like, journey and stuff like that. Like, playing on, like, the yeah, martial agree arts that. aspects yeah. that he was founded on and stuff like that. So, like, it does yep, kind of yep. feel like a lot of the stuff that they done with Super was meant to actually go into the story at some point, which is something I really like about it. Yeah, yeah. I only recently caught this other uh, reference point uh, in the actual story because I, I guess it was just because I didn't know too much about it. But throughout a lot of like uh, through for for a good majority of time, uh, it was a mystery to us as to what exactly the purpose of the pyramids were. And it was only like I, I forgot like I think like like fifty years ago that someone basically had this theory in that the pyramids were 
a gigantic tool that were a means of actually legitimately, you know, conducting power and, and supplying power throughout parts of Egypt. And it's just, I didn't know any about that. I only recently found out about that, you know, in like a recent video that I popped in, like, you know, with YouTube where someone was explaining it. And now yeah. it's just like, you know, I remembered exactly, that's ex- exactly what, you know, the the pyramids are for in, you know, your story as well. Like you legitimately are like, had the pyramids be a means of, gaining power and like and supplying energy throughout the city and it's yeah, just like I, so, I like that uh, little bit right there yeah so in the uh in the city that beerus race beerus's race resides in uh they use batteries they use solar powered batteries that are created inside the uh, inside the pyramids and that is based on a yep. russian theory about how they used to implement the pyramids uh, it's actually yeah. a, an old theory in comparison to like the modern Egyptian power theory, but like yep. you know, there's a reason I did that because this Russian theory, it, despite the fact that it works in theory, it's primitive <laughs> in comparison to like the modern idea of how the pyramids work because they've yeah. done more research and they found out more. We interrupt this podcast, which is brought to you by. Taco Bell. As you can see, Starblast just enjoyed a nice sip from Taco Bell. <laughs> and before that, he enjoyed a tasty meal. Which is why this podcast is brought to you by Taco Bell. Think outside the bun. So, yeah. uh, the city of Sioux, where the, the Thoth re- uh, reside, when Tyma yep. shows up, he tries to like explain how the city works and how the energy is like uh, spread throughout the atmosphere and stuff like that. Like he tries to explain that. And, uh, you know, of course he's supremely intelligent in comparison to time of, because of the the nature of his race. So he's trying to like, so that scene, it's not necessarily me flexing on my knowledge of it. Although there is a little bit of that. Uh, (laughs) it's more so just to portray, the the idea that that race is so ridiculously advanced that they figured out how to basically have self-sustaining energy and so yeah. him going off on this rant about how it works is to signify how intelligent they actually are and you know how they've created yeah, yeah. utopian society but um so he explains in his dialogue with Taima that there's a lot to it. There's like minerals that they take advantage of that create electricity whenever r- water runs through these tunnels that are underneath the pyramids and that creates yep. static electric- electricity which leads to uh, producing uh, energy. That's all based on stuff that I have actually studied uh, for modern for the modern theory in terms of how they've used uh, the pyramids to power the city because uh when they first discovered that this may be a possibility, they discovered it because there's no torch residue in the pyramids, which is extremely yeah. weird because it's always dark in there. So essentially like the idea is that because there's no torch residue and it's pitch black in there, at some point they had to have some kind of light source light, in there. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go in there blind. Right, right, right. So, so, yeah. Uh, that's where the theory stems from, and they've also found giant electric coils in the pyramids. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, so, like, essentially just, like, the idea of 
a, a civilization having that sort of technology before us has always been extremely intriguing to me. Um, yeah. Thoth in particular... It is. Uh, yeah, Thoth in particular is uh, said in legend to be the... He resided in Atlantis. Atlantis is a lost branch city of Egypt. And yeah. so essentially all this is just a play on uh, the legend of Thoth, uh, a lot of stuff in Egyptian mythology. And, you know, uh, I wanted to connect it all together because the modern theory of how uh, the Egypt or how the pyramids work works very well with the idea and legend of what you know Thoth did in his lifetime and how Egyptian society thrived and existed so I really wanted to like visualize that and sort of push that vision onto people so they can imagine it and have fun with the idea of that because I think it's very fascinating yeah it is that's that's such a cool way out you you're saying how you wanted to pretty much like connect everything into uh, all these different things you were just saying so I I I like how you did that. That that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I think um one thing I would really like to talk about just because a lot of people don't notice it is the uh, first of all uh if you're a Marvel fan uh yeah. if you read chapter 3 or no chapter 4 of Dragon Ball Infinity when when Taima and Brew fight in the arena uh yep. a lot of the action sequences and stuff like that I referenced yeah. from Thor versus Hulk in the... Uh, I, I was so you, close! Yeah, if you'll go back and look, <laughs> if you'll go back and look, like, I don't know if you remember, like, how the fight plays out in that film, but it's very Dragon Ball-esque. Like, the, yeah. the fight between Hulk and Thor in that film is very Dragon Ball-like, because, like, Thor, like, transforms at the like end. You know what I mean? So, yep, yep, yep. Because it was so Dragon Ball-like, I was like, you know what? Let's take, because this is obviously Dragon Ball inspired, let's take something that's Dragon Ball inspired and use it yeah. in a Dragon Ball story. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, why so not? Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, uh, essentially I, the idea is uh, the whole, something that I really like to call attention to uh, when it comes to that chapter because a lot of people don't notice this. Yeah. So Brood is missing his eye, right? Yeah. Uh, right and then eye, gets the scar over his eye, and That's essentially right. that is the Pharaoh's way of marking you. And what marking uh, you means is he essentially makes you obsessed with him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so like how Brood will, wanted to get revenge and take him down. Right. Right. So yeah. what he'll do is is he'll and this he essentially his goal and he's not even super consciously aware of this this is just a manipulation tactic that that he understands on an instinctual level he sort of just does it on instinct like he really doesn't yeah. think about it like too much but yep. the whole entire purpose of it is to create a second self so what he's doing there is he's actually creating a second personality uh, amongst these characters, he so like in Journey to the West, there's the idea of the real self and the second self. So yeah. the idea is that by making him, by making these characters obsessed with the Pharaoh and hell bent on revenge, it creates a second false identity that causes them to make mistakes and be hot headed. Yeah. So he likes to take people who are pure and uh, you know in in the classic sense and corrupt yep. them through 
creating a second personality in them that's obsessed with revenge and that is a huge part of Tyma's character development because you'll add? notice at the very beginning of the story he's very very pure as an individual and yeah after yeah he goes after he goes into the arena he, he gets toughened up a little bit he's still pretty pure but he gets toughened a little bit and yep. then by the time uh, he has the scar on his eye he's completely jaded yeah so and now like, he he wants to get new Right, right, right. So yeah. the idea is that he is being manipulated, and I, and like I can't give away where this is all going. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> honestly, but um, or obviously, but make people. Uh, the, the whole idea is that that ability to create a second self in Taima has yep. huge implications in the story because. You know, he's not pure. If you if you know if you know the uh, if you know how Dragon Ball works, I've explained a lot on my channel exactly how Dragon Ball as a series works. Yeah, yeah. You'll know that time of falling victim to his own ego is a huge deal in Dragon Ball. I remember. I remember you told me. Now I'm now realizing where you where this where that whole thing was going. I'm not gonna say it, but I know I know where that what happens. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like how the, the second. But yeah, like the whole like the whole thing of like you know him having that you know other other side of himself you know with with noob having his other side of himself you know that right that, and, that, that's, and that's yeah. a yeah. play that is actually a yeah that is actually a play on the effect that the Jade Emperor had on Sun Wukong uh, when Sun Wukong uh, he has a dream about going back to heaven and conquering heaven and he tells the Jade Emperor in his dream he's like I. He's like, you treated me like a demon. Like, you treated me like a monster. And so I'm going to be the monster that that you treated me like. So essentially the idea is that, like, through the way he's being treated, he's becoming, he's forming a second self. And so, yeah. and, and also the Pharaoh, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but, like, the Pharaoh, he's also a play on the Monkey King. All of these characters, like, something else that I do that's that Toriyama also does is I like to reference. I like to use personality traits like uh, within the plot uh, in terms yeah. of how Journey to the West chose to implement these personality traits because the Monkey King and Trippy Taka are essentially the Asian equivalent of the angel and the devil on your shoulder. Okay. okay. So, mm. so like if you ever if you ever like start to try and read Journey to the West, this is something really important to understand because. Uh, in Buddhism, uh, it is like what makes us evil is our selfish need to survive. You don't necessarily have to be an evil person, but the necessity to survive will cause you to do selfish things. And it's a Buddhist yeah. idea that it, the only way you can be pure as an individual is to essentially discard that part of yourself. So Sun Wukong represents the most extreme form of an individual who is just out for his own survival and the main character of Trippy Taka is based on someone who has completely lost that aspect of himself, which is why Sun yeah. Wukong has to be implemented to protect him on the journey to the West, because he doesn't have the ego to protect himself. He's completely abandoned it. So the whole idea yeah, yeah. is them working together and learning how, uh, you know, each idea has its merit, and essentially achieving the, the balance between each idea. And I like to play on that with my own characters uh 
Like, so Brood, for example. Brood is being influenced by Reiki, and Reiki comes from a, a you know, he comes, he comes from a society of pacifists who are extremely intelligent. Uh, Brood comes from a society of warriors uh, who are constantly in battle. So that's yep. it's very very similar to the relationship that Trippy Taka and the Monkey King have. It's like the yeah. relationship that they have is very very similar, and you know uh, Toriyama has sort of mastered the art of using this symbiotic relationship and spreading it amongst multiple characters in the story. Sort of yeah. sort of like how Beerus and Whis, you know, you, you can kind of see that dynamic between them. You can see that dynamic between um, Goku and Vegeta. You can see that dynamic yep. between Gohan and Piccolo. So that dynamic exists everywhere throughout Dragon Ball. So I do the same thing. I yeah. play on that. So yeah, I, I, wanna, I like I wanna, that you do that. I want to rewind yeah, just ahead, back a little bit, like on the on the whole thing you know about the pyram- the pyramids, because the only reason why, and you made it in the story very clear that the pyramids were necessary, was because and and, and why they were important to the plot was this, the 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 power in order to kind of help out during the seven days of darkness. The seven days of darkness in particular is what I'm interested in here. And for my question, like, what exactly, where is the inspiration behind the seven days of darkness, and how does it function on this planet? Like, why, is it, is it, is it just dark around the entire planet, like, that whole time? Or how is that whole thing, you know, working in that one given area? Well, the idea is that it, it plays on the cycle uh, of life and death, uh, there's a lot to it. I mean, the world was created. I had a lot of inspiration for yeah. Seven Days of Darkness. I mean, like yeah, the, seven, the world, the the entire universe was created in seven days. Uh, there's seven Dragon Balls, uh, you know. But but the whole the idea is that um, the idea is that the Seven Days of Darkness has to exist because if it doesn't exist then the jackals and all of the beings that can only exist within the night in that yep. environment could take over the entire planet so the it exists for the purpose of essentially uh keeping those two halves of the planet separated from each other because and to also give a planet, reason for Taima to become a great ape well yeah i mean <laughs> That's true, yeah. It, it, it also makes that whole scene much more epic because yeah. the Seven Days of Darkness is like this legendary thing. You know, it's like yep. this thing that only to them is like myth and legend. So it makes it that much more over the top that Taima experiences his great ape form during the Seven Days of Darkness because it's like this legendary thing. But in terms of like in story, how the Seven Days of Darkness came to be, uh, Garura, the guy, the he's essentially the Kami of that planet. Okay. And mm-hmm. he is what's known as a Taioshin. Now, a Taioshin is essentially a group of gods that I workshopped into the Dragon Ball universe, and they are what's known as sun gods. A Taioshin is a sun god. So, like the Kai create planets and civilizations and stuff like that, the Taioshin yep. are in charge of creating stars. That's their job. Okay. okay. So the stars that they create, they can see through them. All the light that comes from the stars, anything the light touches, they can see it. That's so pretty So that's what damn makes dope. the Taioshin pretty epic because 
the suns are the result of their life energy. Yeah. So when so when the light hits the planet, they observe the planet through the light. They can see so they're sort of like omnipresent in that way. Yeah, yeah. So see that's just something you is, added yourself that's just such a, a very like a cool idea, like a really unique idea. Like who would think of doing that, you know? It's but it's it's like a, a smart way to put something into a story so i re- yeah 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 i like um, that yeah there's also so other the tie-ins idea... too to egyptian mythology to like what the stars were and like you know and connections to it like that uh well, yeah the Egyptians all-seeing had to eye of Ra. yeah that's right the all-seeing eye of Ra. that's what the all-seeing eye of Ra is it's the sun right yeah. mm-hmm. um but essentially what happened was noob it, he relies on the moon, partially for his power, but he also relies on the souls of the dead. Yep. And if the jackals run around and they're killing people, and it's night pretty often, then Noob can eventually come back to life. Yeah. So that's essentially the idea: is that you know, it, it it prevents that from playing out. It prevents. It's sort of a way of slowing down the possibility that Noob will be that he'll come back from the afterlife. That's part yeah, of it. and he'll have his full power and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, um, the whole entire planet is just an experiment on Garu Ra's part. He's a lot like Kami in the sense that he's sort of indifferent, and he yeah. just wants to see how the mortals develop. Yeah. But like, but um, so the idea is the back. I'll, I'll just go ahead and I'll tell you the backstory behind Garu Ra. I am going to explain this in the manga eventually. But yeah. I'll just go ahead and sort of give you some context. But it's, I I got the inspiration for Garu Ra from Garuda in uh, Chinese, uh, Tibetan, and Hindu mythology. He's this sun god who he he's a bird, much like Ra. But he ends okay. up he, he was a demon. Uh, yeah. But he ends up becoming the pet of Buddha himself. Uh, for a while and essentially becomes his enforcer but one day a bat demon and this is in Journey to the West one day a bat demon farted in the presence (laughs) of I did not expect that Uh oh that's disrespectful I'm sorry I'm sorry (laughs) it did it did it's fine it's fine I totally expected that reaction it's fine so he he let one rip in the presence of Buddha, and that made Garuda so upset that he attacked this bat demon. And when he did that, uh, when he did that, Buddha was like, "Dude, you chill out. I'm yeah. like, I'm gonna banish you for a while. You need to like learn your lesson." So like, the idea is it's something similar to that. Uh, yeah, Garuda is a ex Taoshin who was essentially fired by the Grand Supreme Kai because he's mm-hmm. too aggressive. And so, yeah. due to the fact that he's a sort he is sort of a rogue Taoshin, he decided yep. to try and be the Kami of a planet. And that is okay. that is the planet that Taima is on. So essentially the whole planet is just him attempting to play the role of God to see yeah. if he to see if he's, you know, really, you know, in the wrong in terms of his treatment of mortals and it's really to kind of rectify the disagreement that he and the Grand Supreme Kai had 
Yeah. He essentially wants to prove that he's capable of being a good Taioshin. That's essentially what yeah, he wants yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. That's where I thought you were leading up to. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. that does make sense. But um Yeah. But he's oh, a hybrid of Raw in that way. Because Raw did the same thing. Like, he created all life on Earth. Um, yeah. He's a hybrid of Raw and Garuda. Which is the reason I call him Garura. Because he's a hybrid <laughs> of two different characters from two mythologies. So Yeah. That yeah, is very interesting. That's something. Yeah. Go ahead, Star Blast. And then the, the other thing, too. You made it to where... He had like there was like a flip to him, and, and you showed this specifically in the visualization aspect in the manga form itself, where you, you, he was he turned into Moro as well. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Okay, so when Ra created all life on Earth, um, he essentially fell victim to his ego for a little while, and when mm. he did, he took on the form of a goat instead of a bird. And he also had a different name, and it was Coom was his name. And essentially, that god was capable of taking his own life energy in Egyptian mythology and using it to bring creatures to life. So he would create clay figures of different animals, different creatures, and stuff like that, and then he would use his own life essence to breathe life into these uh, clay objects yeah, yeah. and he also has the head of a goat so I wanted to take advantage of that and essentially make you know um, Garu Ra's goat form his ego so it's very very similar to the relationship that Piccolo and Kami have to each other it's very very similar in that sense it's just like it's that part of his personality coming out yeah it's pretty interesting. Like, he split himself apart, kind of like what Kami did. Yeah, essentially, the idea is that uh, in order for him to be a good ruler, in order for him to be the type of ruler that the Grand Kaioshin wanted him to be, he had yeah. to separate himself exactly like Kami uh, did whenever he separated himself from Piccolo. Except in this case, yep. instead of him trying to impress the Kami of Earth, he's trying to, you know... He he's took a dead, barren planet who didn't have a Kami at all, and he's using yeah. it and building it from the ground up to try and impress the Grand Kaioshin. Yep, yep. I've noticed this one thing as well. I, th- I think you specifically told me, but in the so in the uh, the book of the book of Thoth, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was there was. Um, because we saw Taima kind of like amplifying it. There's like there's other there's a lot of things in there that reference a journey to the west. Like for example, the um like like the the cape being like you know the seal and like how they seal demons like in that one live action movie where they get turned into like you know dolls. But in this case, they just he just gets sealed into the cape and everything. And you know yeah. Uh, uh, in 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 this instance though, what I'm referring to is that. Taima learned the crane school martial arts technique and then also the turtle the turtle school technique and I believe if I'm not mistaken this is off podcast a while ago you said that this is where later down the line throughout history these scrolls somehow also made it to earth in which certain masters like you know Mutaito and other uh like uh martial arts people they took these scrolls and you know learned martial arts you know using using that and everything like that and then passed that information down from generations yeah that's right 
So essentially the idea is in Egyptian mythology, Thoth created writing. Okay. He created writing. So he created the ability to spread information. Okay. That's like that's he created that. So the idea is that eventually the Thoth will take everything that they've learned in terms of chi control, flying, martial arts, stuff like that, and they'll eventually spread it to every planet in the entire universe. Okay, so eventually they'll leave that planet, and they'll end up going and spreading their knowledge throughout the entire universe. As a matter of fact, like, TN, like, I sort of I sort of use that to, to craft a backstory for TN, because, as you know, it's suggested that TN is an alien. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that the planet he came from was predominantly uh, culture-wise the result of the Thoth coming to his planet. So that's the reason. That's the reason that, and, and the reason I did it that way is because it's very similar to Goku learning to use the primitive fighting style of his people. I just thought it would be really ironic and cool if the Crane's Hermit, you know, he stole this inform like he in in the in my version of the events. Uh, the Crane Hermit went behind Mutaito's back to learn the Crane School. Mutaito's the one that discovered the, the scrolls, but he went behind his back and read them and learned how to fly and learned everything that he ends up teaching in the Crane School. And then yeah. he ends up teaching that to Tien, who is the descendant of these aliens who already used the Crane School. And so he's sort of learning the ancient... Uh, fighting style of his people without being consciously aware of it. So that was sort of the whole idea there. And I really and, put a lot of thought and, de- and detail into that. And, and that explains yeah. why, like, he, in, in OG Dragon Ball, he was considered, like, you know, like a fighting genius. Like, he was just capable of doing all of these. Like, it was, de- he was, he had, like, this mass amount of, like, talent and potential as he was depicted, which would make sense because, like, if this, if these fighting techniques were, you know, originated from his people, then no wonder he's going to be, you know, so good at adapting that and using that. You know, in his means of fighting. I, yeah, I like that. That's really clever. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, you brought up the book, the book of Thoth, and I, I'd really love to talk about that. Yeah, um, let's let's hear about that. So, Mirai. Okay. By the way, all the characters are named after different time theme names for the most part. I don't know if you caught on to that. Uh, there's a reason for that, but I'll get into that here. In Mirai a means future. Right. Yeah, Mirai means future. Yeah. Genzai means uh, present. Uh, Keiko, uh, no, Keiko no Kami, the god that predates both of them, that translates to god of the past, and yep. Taima, uh, you know, it's time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. It's because the future is associated with enlightenment, and the past is associated with your ego. And there's essentially like I made a lot of connections to not only how China and Asian mythology view these concepts, but also how Egyptian mythology views these concepts as well. And I wanted to like connect them together. So anyway, the Book of Thoth was supposedly a real thing. Okay, it was something. It was supposedly something that actually existed. As a matter of fact, the random number that I drop uh, in the manga about how there's like thirty six thousand books in this one book that's actually yep. what's stated about the book of thoth in legend that's not something i made up that that yeah, number yeah. of books is actually it see there's two theories 
either the Book of Thoth is one book that contains that much knowledge, or it's that many books, right? So I decided yeah, to just yeah. use the concept where it's one book with that much knowledge, of course, because it's much simpler and easier. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds better, to, too. <laughs> so the other name for Thoth is Tohiti. That's his actual Egyptian name. Thoth is his Greek name. Okay? Yeah. His actual name is Tohiti. And Sun Wukong's master in Journey to the West, who is also associated with the crane, by the way, exactly like Thoth, um, his name is Subhiti. So they have very similar names. Not only yeah. do they have very similar names, they teach very, very, very similar things. Okay? So, for example, uh, in Taoism, you have the concept of yin and yang. But with Thoth, you have the concept of the scales, you know, uh, the balance. Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah. so what they teach is ex extremely, extremely similar. And in Journey to the... Now, in real-life Egyptian lore... It is said that if you read the Book of Thoth, you get a, a lot of godly abilities, right? And I actually name yeah. a few of those in the story. But it's also said that if you read the Book of Thoth, that you are cursed. Mm, okay. Double-edged so, sword. In, in, in Journey to the West, when Sun Wukong goes and he meets his immortal master, Sub Huiti. By the way, he's also who taught... Sun Wukong immortality, and Pull Thoth yep. is the Thoth is the creator of the Fountain of Youth. So they real have, quick, uh, real, yeah, real quick before you before you go on, I want to ask one thing about you know the the curse. So like so you say that his this curse that he's cursed is this like a similar way like the similar thing to where the way that you know Thor was cursed in Avengers: Age of Ultron, where he went into that well and then like he you know, was basically, you know, cursed, you know, for, like, the rest of his life, which hence the reason why all the tragedies that took place in Ragnarok and, you know, and, and, and Infinity War, Endgame, that type of thing. Well, yeah, I was getting to that. But, yeah, you're... you're, you're okay. Yeah, you're, you're on to it. It's, <laughs> it's very similar to how I've... T about you to using the Dragon Ball, selfishly. Um, yeah. It's very similar to that. Um, but in Journey <laughs> to the West... Um, Subhuiti tells Sun Wukong after he teaches him Taoist immortality, he tells him, he says, this form of immortality is taboo. It's actually not yeah. allowed amongst the gods. We're actually not supposed to practice this form of immortality. And as a result, when the gods find out that you have this form of immortality, you're going to have to face uh, a bunch of disasters. So essentially, in the Journey to the West... Sun Wukong learning Taoist immortality was also a curse. Yeah. So all of these story elements are so ridiculously similar that I essentially just made a hybrid of the two concepts in that scene. So the Book of Thoth, yeah. it, it referenced it, it, it sort it's a similar thing to Sun Wukong being taught Taoist immortality, and it's also similar to what happens when you actually read. Uh, the Book of Thoth in Egyptian mythology and in that if you take the knowledge and you use it incorrectly you're doomed. That's essentially yeah. the idea. So like mm -hmm. in Journey to the West whenever Sun Wukong learns Taoist immortality, what's he do with it? He tries to use it to dethrone the Jade Emperor and take over heaven. Okay, 
He doesn't use it to try and find enlightenment. He doesn't try to use it to be a better person. He uses yeah, it to yeah. try and take over everything. Okay, that was or his himself, intention. Yeah. Yep. Right. And so, Taima having to chase after the Pharaoh is my parallel to Sun Wukong going after the Jade Emperor. But in this yep. sense, you feel as though Taima is the good guy and the Pharaoh is the bad guy, whereas in Journey to the West, it's backwards. Sun Wukong is the villain in that sense, and the yeah. Jade Emperor is the is the victim. So it's sort of my way of just, like, reversing the roles yet again. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's, that's sort of my storytelling style, and it's something that I adopted from Toriyama. It's just, like, the yeah, way yeah. that he plays on these concepts is he does a lot of role reversals and stuff like that, and he... He uses that to make the story more original, despite the fact that, that we're adopting concepts from these stories. He uses yeah. that to make it different. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, makes it, it makes it more interesting. Yeah, yeah, it does. Instead of just using the same exact thing, you, you flip it around and you, you make it different. So, yeah, it, yeah. it's definitely uh, a smarter way to write something if you take inspiration from something so i do like that well, yeah both. most people even if they're not consciously aware and this is yeah. something i learned whenever i got into writing most people even if they're not consciously aware yep. are using source material even if they're not oh yeah yeah aware. because yeah. because every everything that you can imagine everything that you can think of is yep. in most cases the result of things that you of media that you consumed yeah and 100%. you can see that firsthand yeah. in Dragon Ball. I mean, how many different movies and uh, you know, th like that's something. I mean, else you see it in everything, pretty much. Well, yeah, that's true, but you can really see it in Toriyama's work. Yeah. Because, like, it's funny because the stuff that he adds to his stories, he he adds it because it's relevant at the time, which yeah. speaks to his abilities as a discovery writer sort of like him implementing like terminator-esque concepts in the cell saga he did that yep. because it was relevant you know yeah I mean? he, he yeah did that yeah and terminator was relevant at the time <laughs> and that's and that's also what i do so like if i see a movie and that movie is inspirational it's likely going to influence the next chapter of dragon ball infinity you know yeah. what i mean like yeah yeah it, that's just how it goes like whenever you're looking for inspiration and you're writing a story and and you're inspired by something for you not to take advantage of it is a crime because, pretty much yeah <laughs> because like you know if you can take advantage of those things then you can craft not only an interesting story just based on the merit of the story itself but an interesting story in terms of the creative process as well yeah. And then it's just like people will associate it with other things, and it it, it it instinctively just ties into, you know, the other things that you know people would like. You know, they'd find inspirational. That thing would just you know end up alongside with the other stuff that they that that naturally just people cater to. It caters to an audience on an instinctual level of what they personally like, and so it's ultimately very good. That's right. Yeah. And if you notice it too, you're like, oh, I know where that's from. So it kind of like rings bell in your head. Like that's. It, uh, 
I bet they got inspiration from that. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, man. That's like, like that's, that. that's exactly what they did in Superhero too. Just like you know, uh, for for like a lot a lot of like what they did. You know, they took inspiration from WWE moves, like the you know Gamma Two <laughs> yeah. and Piccolo being on the train. Obviously, you know, from Spider Man, they took some of that as yep. well during you know in the granola yeah, arc, yeah, you know, yeah. with the train and everything. And so yep. it's just like there's a lot of it on uh, there's a lot of it on all sorts of different you know ways in different forms of media. Yeah. yeah, when you're a writer, you have to consider psychology. You have to actually consider what gets people excited. You got to you yeah. got to you got to really think about what causes people to have a dopamine hit. You know what I mean? Yep. Like like so a lot of that is just seeing stuff that excites them and it just so happens that seeing references is exciting. To human beings. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is. It's a, it's a universal concept. When you see something and you recognize it, you get excited, and then you yeah. want to read more of it because you want to get excited <laughs> again. So it's just it's a. Oh, I noticed thing. that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like what you were saying. Um, you ever see Man of Tai Chi? Yeah, I love that with movie. Keanu Reeves. I love that movie. Yeah, so do I. But the way you were explaining, um, knew before uh, I pictured him as Keanu Reeves. And then, as you, you already know where I'm heading with that. So yeah, I already it, know that where kind you're of because it's a very yeah, yeah thing. Yeah. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this reminds me like something like that. That reminded me of Man of Tai Chi, and yeah. maybe a little inspiration came from it, or even if it didn't, it's something that I rem- I I thought of when you were saying that. So yeah, yeah people love uh, when they see stuff that they recognize and something. Knew that they're watching, reading, yeah. So, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, that is the entire. It did influence the story in the sense that it's a trope, right? Yeah. Like I love that that movie. That is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Yeah, it's good movie. Obviously, it's going to influence my storytelling style. But a lot of that is just like, you know, what I do as a writer. If you know, because I want to be good at what I do is I just yeah. absorb as much media and as as much successful writing and, and as I can because I, yeah. I want to see what makes what makes different works successful. That's what I want to do. Yep. Like I want to learn that's that's sort of my goal is just to learn how to craft a successful story that's impactful and meaningful and you know, uh, sticks with people. Catch. Stories are, yeah, I mean, are uh, people want to read it. Yeah. Stories as a whole are so important to mankind yeah. as a general in general. Like, uh, you know, stories are what cause people to have revelations. They're what cause people. They cause people to realize things about themselves and others. And so, yeah. When I was thinking about the type of story that I wanted to tell, I wanted mm-hmm. to tell a type. A, a type of story that would have that same impact that Dragon Ball had on me in terms of like having revelations and stuff like that and learning things and, and, and having yeah. fun while you're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Part of the reason I, I get so excited to read Dragon Ball is because, you know, it's not just the references. It's not just the fact that I'm a fan. It's the fact that, you know, I also learn how Toriyama and Toyotaro and a lot of these writers at Toei and stuff implement these different concepts that they pull from stories into their product right so yeah so it's it's all like it's teaching me like it's a learning experience for me 
and I want other people yep. to be able to experience that through my story. You know, what you learn from a story varies based on who you are and your perception of reality. But you know, yep. it, it, it's it's that any writer, if you're a writer and you're watching this, your goal should be to create something that piques people interest, piques people's interest in the sense that they really feel like they're absorbing something that's meaningful and has an impact, you know. Yeah. Even if it's and just then a also fan something manga, that even relates. If it's just a Dragon Ball fan manga. That's what people want yeah. out of stories, you know. Yeah. It's like I, I think say, that all ultimately it's like I've noticed this too with Dragon Ball, it's depending you can very much tell when someone is going go, going to actually you know win a fight even if even if like it, it's climactic enough like you you basically would would ask like okay is this character at the point that they're at in their development actually ready to take down the villain for example like yeah. with 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 Goku uh when he first entered into the martial arts tournaments or it's, I guess this wouldn't be necessarily be villains this is like with fight in general and for example in the martial arts tournament Goku at that point when he was young was not ready to actually you know fully win you know because if he did at that point he would have grown to be you know more you know cocky and not understand the important lesson of there being always someone stronger out there and to always you know continue oh, pursuing right. self growth and everything like that hence the reason yeah. you know that that was important for Roshi you know the second you know tournament there was <laughs> there was other reasons there was other reasons why he like he he couldn't win i i think it was because he might have still gone down that path at that but then the third one it was it was more so like he he was much more mature. He adult. He grew up, and at that point in time, when there was Piccolo, it, it's like his character development already like was kind of at a point where this everything instilled, all of these lessons that he learned was already instilled into him. It was just in this case, yeah. it was a matter of need, and that there were stakes set up in which he had to defeat Piccolo. Which ultimately, winning the tournament wasn't even the ambition. It was just him trying yeah. to you know protect everybody. And you know, and, and do the right and do the right thing, like what his peer, what, what he had, what he had to do. Right, and, and, and so, you actually, speaking of all that, you can actually see how that's the opposite in Dragon Ball Infinity. It's it's literally the exact opposite. He wins his first ever big arena match. Uh, he 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 grows an ego through it. Uh, you know, Goku. There was a reason they didn't let him win a tournament until he learned from Kami. Like, mm-hmm. there's a reason they didn't let him, you know, win until he was a developed individual, right? Until yeah. he was, like, he was capable of, of being proud of the win and then still continue on his journey to being a martial artist, which is why he gives Piccolo a sensu bean and why he tells him, hey, let's fight again, because at that point... <laughs> He has developed into the type of character that would do such a thing. If he had yeah. won the first tournament, he wouldn't have done that. You know, yeah, most so, likely. Yeah. So, all of uh, Goku's, you know, his experiences lead up to that moment, and so like, you know, everything. It's it's almost as if in Dragon Ball, things just continuously get brighter, right? Things just get more, uh, uh, you know, I guess you could say friendly. And it's almost as if Goku makes everything more happy. You know, yeah. As a story yeah. progresses. Yeah, yeah. And right. it's like Taima, it gets progressively darker. Ooh. Right? And, That's the whole point. It's the opposite. Like, it starts off all bright and shiny and happy. And he's got a very childlike face. 
and he's and despite the fact that he's in such a horrible situation, he's still handling it with uh, a smile. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, but that's as another the story thing. Progresses, too. Things just get darker and darker and darker, and his expression changes, and who he is changes. And he that I think is more realistic. Like, yeah, he even starts like, off, like, in a dark place, too. Like, he's not free, like you, what you were saying in the beginning, like how Goku was. Yeah, like, yeah, Goku well, he takes is it a... Well. He takes it well. At that, point, at that point in the story, I would say he still hasn't lost his purity, despite the fact yeah. that he has lived in that situation. He still sort of has his childlike innocence to him. But yep. by the time he gets into the arena, it's gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. I, and I like the way that it kind of goes down this path. Is because it, it fe- cause with with to- with Dragon with with Dragon Ball Toriyama doesn't necessarily me- use it as a means, you know, it, to go into a like you know realistic type of thing. He more so is basically explaining the pathway as to how one you know would be beneficial for their own personal growth, like how that would reflect to the readers. In your case, yeah. you're telling a different story of like, okay, because let's be real. It, like a, a character like Goku is, you know, is unrealistic. It may, it's like it's like a it's like a dreamish thing. Yours is more, in a sense, like you know, like relatable Superman. in the sense because everyone has an ego. Yeah. Everyone can see the things that that Taima has, you know, with their ego and relate to that and see just how exactly he tackles that and how he goes about, you know, handling that. In a sense, like you know, you can kind of say like, okay, there's other characters in Dragon Ball they that could go through down that path, but that's only because of the fact that the presence of Goku is there, you know, to kind of help lead them, you know, to you know, bettering like to, to bettering themselves in that way. But in the yeah. real world setting, we don't have a, any per- people like that who can really, you know, affect affect you in that manner. So well, I learned through Eastern philosophy, um, and I've talked to you about this before. A lot of the reason that the kings and the leaders of the past were so alluring was because they were so dead set on what they were trying to accomplish, and that's a side effect of your ego. Most of the biggest names throughout history, uh, the the greatest conquerors and the greatest leaders of the world, the reason they were so alluring is because they had this like righteous fury to them where they were so dedicated to their idea of morality that people related to that and so they became alluring and people would rally behind them so yep. whenever i was crafting taima despite the fact that i do believe in East, like the ideas that goku stands for you know i do believe in that i wanted to create a character who took advantage of you know that historical example that characters like that are alluring it's you know uh, i think that um toriyama subconsciously did that with vegeta i don't think he was actually aware that that would be the case when he did it i don't think he was yeah. aware that vegeta would be so popular but since i have an Probably. understanding yeah. of why vegeta is so popular i wanted to take advantage of it right i yeah. understood when i was creating the character i was like look Goku is really popular, but so is Vegeta. Why is each character popular? You know what I mean? So that's just another example of me really trying to think about what made each character popular. Uh, Not just, you know, within the media itself, but uh, in terms of their cultural background and in terms of historical significance. So when you see Taima, you know, so dead set on doing the right thing, despite the fact that it 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 slowly evolves into not necessarily being the right thing. Uh, it it's relatable, right? You see yeah. that, and you're like, 
Yeah, like if I was in that situation, I would do the exact same thing. You know, you can rarely ever say that about Goku. Like, as a matter of fact, like I would yeah. even argue that you can't, yep. you really can't say that about <laughs> Goku. To be honest, because yeah, he's, yeah. he's an enlightened being. It's it's really hard to relate to who he is as a character, and he is an extremely popular character. But in terms of being relatable, you only yeah, really yeah. relate to him when you're a kid. When you're a kid, yeah. you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that, you know, you can relate to Goku. He's but. a good guy. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, t- like, t- Taima, I relate to more than Goku. Yeah. Right. So, the right there shows yeah. an example of it. Nah, go- if it was yeah, Go, if it was me, I bet, if it was a lot of people in Goku's perspective, Frieza would have died on Namek. He wouldn't have let- gave him energy or anything like that. And lit him oh, like, yeah, nah. yeah, yeah. Nah, if I, like, the mindset would be like, okay, okay, I have to kill you right now because if I don't, you're gonna end up killing a lot more people. And then the, then the yeah. blood will be on my hands, which, ironically enough, is Goku, <laughs> even, the, it's like, he kinda, in Super, he's still, uh, like, somewhat responsible like for that. all of the people that Frieza had killed up until that point. So it's like he it's yeah, yeah. technically the mindset <laughs> isn't even wrong. Right. Well, you know, Dragon Ball has a really weird way of like progressing the universe while also regressing it in short bouts. So like, you know, at the end of every story it seems like everything's better than it was before. But then, by the yeah. next arc, everything is just gone to hell. You know what I mean? It's just this never ending. Like Moro to Granola arc. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, you know. Can I ask I, I you of... something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So, out of all the characters I saw, I liked Brood probably the most, besides Taima. Who's one of your favorite characters besides the main character that's really hard brood is one of my favorite characters yeah, um, yeah when i first saw I him really like, he's like dope. brood i really like brood and mirai uh, yep uh i like mirai because he is sort of and i i haven't talked about this before but he's sort of like the author in the story like he's sort of like that trope you know what i mean like i don't okay, know if you yeah, know this yeah. but like Toriyama uses a bird avatar to represent Does himself he? very often. Okay. Well, Thoth is the god <laughs> of writing. He is the god of writing. He created writing. So, you know, he and he sees the future. He's an yeah, exposition yeah, yeah. character. You know what I mean? So there's yep. a lot there in terms of like how I crafted his character in a really unique way to sort of, you know, he's like my, like, back in the, the Dr. Slump days, Toriyama would, he would put himself in Dr. Slump episodes, but he would yep. do it through uh, avatars. So, like, he would yeah. do it through, like, a bird character or, like, Toribot or something like that. And essentially, yeah. Mirai, he's like, he's like that. He's like, he's like the author existing within the story, in a sense. And that's why I think he's a really, really cool character but yeah. Brood in particularly I really like because you know part of me is in that character as well actually part of me is in all these characters but like yeah 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 you know, can't really make like, a story uh, any other way yeah <laughs> yep. I like Brood a lot because whenever I was coming up with Brood um, you know I, uh, I'm a big I used to be a big Metalhead fan right yeah and uh, a big metal fan and a lot like of the metal? songs 
Yeah, a lot yeah, of the yeah. songs that I listened to, specifically Pantera, were all about like strength beyond strength. You know what I mean? Like yep, uh, yep, yep. a new level of power. You know what I mean? So yeah. whenever I was think so whenever I created Brood, I created him with those ideas in mind. You know what I mean? That like, is interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like um he's also a hybrid of Beerus and Piccolo. Because yes. uh and and you can actually see this whenever Taima and Brood are training. Um, yep. there's actually scenes in there that are references to whenever Piccolo was training Gohan and whenever Beerus was training Vegeta. It's actually yeah. like a hybrid of those two situations. Yeah, yeah. I I got that vibe from him too. Yeah. Yeah. Like so essentially not only yeah. is he trying to teach Taima how to be a warrior, he's also trying to teach him the principles of survival and he's also yep. trying to teach him how to fight like him and Brood is a yeah. monster in the sense that he is a destructive force. So I wanted yeah. him to so I wanted him to, you know, I wanted Taima to be influenced by two characters who or, or by a character who is very similar to those two characters because I wanted like that aspect of his personality to be reflective of not only uh Piccolo's personality uh and Vegeta's personality but Beerus's personality. So it, yeah. it's sort of my way because Beerus and Vegeta and Piccolo uh, a lot of the more stern, hard characters are, yep. they represent the more masculine traits of yin and yang. Uh, in most yeah. cases, they are like the extreme of the two, uh, the, you know, the two concepts that exist within Chinese mythology of yin and yang. So like Piccolo, he's the expelled demon that came from Kami. Uh, yep. Beerus is a god of destruction, uh, who works for an angel. Um, you know, Vegeta, mm. he is the he is the most extreme version of what a Saiyan is. And so like yep. all of those aspects of those characters, I wanted to try and like reference them through Taima uh whenever he's consumed by his ego. So like uh, whenever I'm whenever I so like, like Taima is a character, I try to reference as many of the characters who are pure of heart. Uh, in one aspect of his personality while also referencing yep. most of the characters who are hard asses through the other aspects of his personality. So, like, yeah. Taima is like an amalgamation of, like, so many different characters in that way. Because I want Yeah, which to is be, good, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's it's really, all the like, good, the like, product of, like, of everything that I've consumed in terms of Dragon Ball content. He's not, like... Yeah. He's not inspired from one thing or the other. I actually put a lot of thought into his character. Even oh, yeah. Yugi. Yeah. Like, you know, with the eye that glows on his yeah, head. Even just Yugi, like the, yeah, even Yugi, yeah. Well, you but know, like, Yugi, he plays on the same mythology. Uh, the character that... Yeah. That, the character that um, Taima is based on is a three-eyed monkey god... Who he was essentially the devil for a while in Egyptian mythology. When you okay. died, you would have to go through him to get to the afterlife, and he would look into your soul with his third, third eye. eye. Yeah. And if you were evil, he would consume you. He would eat you. But if you Shit. weren't, he would allow you to go on into heaven. And yeah. 
Uh, in Journey to the West, Sun Wukong plays a very, very similar role. Uh, he is also sort of like the devil of that story. And he's also yeah, capable yeah. of... He has, he has the ability through his golden fiery eyes to see into the character of people and decipher whether or not they are good Shit. people. So those two characters are very, very similar in that way. So I wanted to play yeah. on that. It's like what Ghost Rider does too, uh, with that one thing. Like if you're evil, he kills you pretty much. But yeah, right, that's, right. I I like yeah, how a, you did that though with your main trope, character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I like how you how you didn't just make your main character just one type of personality. You put a lot of different, uh, you put a lot of thought into it, and you mixed in a lot of different aspects into the one character, which is pretty cool. Well, a bunch of different yeah, characters, that's how like all my characters personality are, really. traits. Right. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Yeah. yeah, that's something I, I do like about your characters. They're not just one-dimensional, you know? Well, the artists I worked with uh, for Dragon Ball Infinity, they told me that their favorite thing about my characters, and I hadn't even really considered this as one of my strengths, but they told yeah. me that my favorite character, that, that, that their favorite thing about my characters is that it feels like they have a history. It feels like yeah. they had a life prior to the story. Yeah, right? yeah. So it feels like yep. they actually are characters. It feels like they actually are characters that logically can exist. And, you yeah. know, I think that's a huge part of their appeal. Yeah, yeah. It it, it does seem like that. Even when you uh, start learning about Noob. And what was the other guy's name when uh, he first gets to the water? And he oh, was Mirai. explaining yeah. it. Yeah, Mirai, yeah, yeah. It like those two, yeah. I had uh, one question, so I think I've asked you this before private like uh like privately. I'm gonna ask it again here. Um so speak in, in terms of like references, one of the biggest, you know, ones obviously is, you know, Taima's mysterious transformation. It's not Super Saiyan. It goes through the same principles no. of like what super yeah. what Super Saiyan is, but it's obviously very different. And the uh, of, in the version of it, like where we see, you know, it has like you know alternate, like where it's just like in the in the animated version, there's no colors that really you know depict that. And so some people think, okay, it's it's false Super Saiyan. I'm not, I don't, I, but that's not really what it is. There's, but there's there's definitely yeah, things that are similar that. to it because if he was actually Super Saiyan, it would contradict the original story, um, like, which is what you told told me about. So what is this form that Taima? has has gotten and what exact what exactly is he able to do what is the what is the multipliers or whatever well essentially the idea is essentially the idea is that Taima it's it's sort of like false super saiyan but it's it's more so that he does not have despite the fact that he has a pure heart and despite the fact that he was put in a situation to experience the trigger to become a super saiyan he doesn't have the power to do it he doesn't have the S cells to do it. You know, if you ask Toriyama, that's why he got flicked back like. so he easily. He doesn't have the S cells to do it. But essentially, yeah. it's. I don't look at it as false Super Saiyan. You can look at it that way. I have called it false Super Saiyan before. Yeah. But I have. But. Like, I've talked about this a lot. But essentially, the idea is. And this is something a lot of people don't catch on to when it comes to saying characters. When their heart starts beating. They either transform or they evolve. They get stronger as they fight. Okay, so there's yeah. two outcomes. So, so the entire reason that Goku becomes a Super Saiyan is because that huge emotional shock that he experiences yeah. causes him to nearly, like, almost have a heart attack, which, 
which causes him to have this huge boost in power. So it's essentially the same concept, except in Taima's case, he is completely enraged due to the fact yeah. that he doesn't have Goku's nature, right? He doesn't have... He, he hasn't learned the principles of martial arts to be able to control that that effect on his personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. part of the reason that... And this is something I actually haven't told you, Heesh. But part of the reason that I wanted Taima to have the gray-looking shade of hair in that scene is because yep. it matches Brood's skin color. And Brood, prior to... Uh, Brood prior to meeting Taima was a monster. Okay? He was a monster who would just wipe people out in the arena in a blind yeah. rage. Right? He would he would he, like he would hone in on his ability to destroy things and he would just destroy his opponents. Right? Yeah. So a lot of people don't catch on to this, but that is Brood's karma. Taima taking on that form is Taima becoming the same monster that Brood had become multiple mm-hmm. times when he destroyed his opponents in the past, and Brood yeah. had to come—he had to come face to face with the effect that he had on his student. And that's essentially what the form represents: is that it it, uh, it, it represents Brood's effect on Taima coming full circle, and him having to face the very beast that he was in the past through yeah. his student. So that's yeah. sort of—that's sort of the idea. And it's just yeah, like right. I, I suppose that that makes that makes really no that makes a lot of sense in hindsight understanding it now like after reading the story yeah. because there was multiple times and multiple instances where time is like listen we don't need to fight we have another option we're not we we have a choice instead yeah, yeah. of like going through this going with what you know with what noob wants we can fight together and try and at the very least try to stop it granted you know seeing as how powerful noob actually is you know if there probably would not have been much to be done however i I suppose if it was in a in a sense of like what would happen in the realm of dragon ball the instances that could have taken place there could have been very much different you know like the just just by the not by the simple fact like okay they would win but the act of of but 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 acting upon that choice uh, could have actually yielded results differently in some way, shape, or form because the story w- would have been necessary. Would have would have fitted the narrative in that way, right? Yeah, right. And and so Brood turning down Taima every time he asks to work with him is essentially Brood being like, "I'm just gonna." He, it's essentially embracing who he was before he met Taima and before he was influenced by Riki. Like that was a sort that was a, that was his those were his trials those were his you know like he was put in a situation to where him changing and him becoming a better person was really being put to the test through his student and he yeah. failed that test and as a result he suffered for that yep. so yep. like that's that's sort of the idea there like that's another thing that like I really try to uh, I try to be as accurate with the story as possible in terms of how Toriyama implements uh, karma in Dragon Ball I try to do the exact same thing in this story I like to really because it makes it seem like there's a god who's like turning the wheel and like you know everything seems faded everything seems like fate you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't seem yeah, like yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem like random events. Everything seems like it's fate. 
Yeah. So that's that's the necessity that 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 sort of writing is a necessity in that sense if you if you want it to feel authentic and feel like Dragon Ball. Yeah. Yeah, like because karma is like a big a big factor in there, you know, with Dragon Ball and like so like it. I, I, and it's just like I love that that is one thing that you know you really do you know carry over because it, it definitely holds on to that you know feeling of, of Dragon Ball that you know we really you know I think that not, not not a lot of people realize it's such a huge factor but it's even the thing that I feel you know in a lot of ways keeps super you know being relevant despite the fact that you know a lot of like you know media as we talked about in the um, in in the Eastern versus Western thing super s- still feels like it's taking from the roots of like you know what dragon ball was which is why it doesn't suffer the same you know problems yeah. as like you know what a sequel would be to a to a to a show that's yeah. right yeah well mm-hmm. you know toriyama's older he's experienced um you know back whenever he was in the dragon ball z era he was taking from uh western media much more now, i'm not saying he doesn't take from it all in the modern time because he still does but he was taken yeah. from it much more because he wanted the he wanted Dragon Ball Z to have a very authentic, uh, unique feel. But in Dragon Ball Super's case, he's definitely he's definitely going back to the source. He's definitely like instead of like trying to rely on like uh, you know modern Western pop media to like yeah. you know uh, to appeal to his audiences, he he you can tell he is prioritizing implementing the source material like he did uh originally whenever he first started doing dragon ball you can really see that in his modern storytelling style and i think that a lot of that is just due to the fact that he is so old that when he started doing dragon ball super he fell back on what he used to do in the dragon ball era and he's like you know what i'm just going to like i'm going to take stuff from journey of the west and i'm going to flip it around like i used to and i'm going to have fun that way (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah. um like you can you can really you can sort of just see that and and it makes a lot of sense because not a lot of people know this but right before super came out um well we we all know about dragon ball evolution and how it it came out around that time and uh yeah <laughs> but there was another movie there was another movie that came out right and a lot of people don't know about this but this is a journey to the west movie that was influenced by Akira Toriyama. Okay, so the so the creator of Kung Fu Hustle, uh, he worked with Toriyama to create uh, Stephen Chow. He he worked with Toriyama to create a Journey to the West film. So essentially, he and and Toriyama didn't touch the script or anything like that. He was just extremely influenced by Toriyama and so he had he told Toriyama that he was going to use him as inspiration for the film and he also hired Toriyama to draw the cover art for the film so Toriyama drew a picture of Sun Wukong for the film Toriyama watched the film in Japanese and when he watched the film in Japanese that's how he discovered Beerus's voice actor because Beerus's voice actor played Sun Wukong in that film. So, oh my god! And if <laughs> and if you read, if you read his review of the film, okay, he talks about it like it's the greatest movie he's ever seen in his life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that tells you that 
that was a huge motivator for Toriyama to start implementing Journey to the West into the story more so again because he yeah. was so heavily he enjoyed seeing that movie so much and he enjoyed seeing his effect on media and he enjoyed seeing how he had influenced this film and so you yep. know he, of course he took inspiration from that and I think the yeah, fact more that influence. he hired yeah. I think the fact that he hired the Monkey King's voice actor to play Beerus is I think that really speaks to just how much of an impact that that film had on his motivation oh, yeah. going into the Dragon Ball Super era. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another thing. Okay, we talked about this before the podcast. You said that there was a similar reference that you put in for Taima that has to do with, you know, just like with Sun Wukong, you know, falling down from heaven. But instead of it being yeah. from, like, Journey to the West, it's more so another thing that's, that's you know, leaning in towards referencing Eastern uh, Eastern philosophy. Sorry, not Eastern. Uh, Egyptian, Egyptian. Egyptian mythology, yeah. Yeah, Egyptian mythology. Thank, yeah, thank so you, yeah. essentially the idea is that, you know, you it's, it's, it's a lot like Greek mythology. Uh, the land of reeds is somewhere you can only reach uh, via, you know, the trials that you face in the desert in life, but also via a boat in the afterlife so the whole entire process of Taima traveling through the desert and then getting on that boat and then reaching the island of the gods is a yep. reference to the process of life and death it's it's a reference to the cycle of life and death within Egyptian mythology that's what it is yeah I see yeah that is that is that is that is really cool that's Actually, why it, that's... all of all of these characters uh uh, in the story, especially like Noob and Garura, and uh, of, of course, I like to play on uh, Darwinistic concepts of survival of the fittest. So, like, you'll notice that like Mirai is a victim to Genzai a lot because he's a bird, and 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 you know it's a cat and a bird, so it's like yeah. That <laughs> and then there's like there's like the dog character who who dominates the cat character and you know what i mean it's like the the hierarchy mm -hmm. of survival of fist i do like to play on that in in this story but also um oppo garura and noob who are a jackal um a, a hawk eagle whatever you want to consider him uh and a serpent those three animals also represent the the karmic wheel of life in in uh, Eastern philosophy, uh, and also in Egyptian mythology, those three animals. Yep. I can actually pull up an image of the of the Chinese wheel of life, and you will see that it is a bird, a canine, and a um, crane and a serpent. Oh, so serpent, like yeah. you know, <laughs> so the whole entire story is referencing the is referencing the cycle of life and death. It's very, very similar yeah. to, to uh, Journey to the West in that way. Journey to the West also references the cycle of life and death, but it does it through the lens of Chinese mythology, whereas my story does it through the lens of Egyptian mythology. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I like that you used a lot of Egyptian mythology in it. I'm a big fan of Moon Knight, and yeah. that's heavily influenced uh, with Egyptian yeah. mythology. Yeah. So with you adding that... There's stuff like I understood and knew already, because uh, I, I learned s some stuff from Mo Moon Knight. I but I really, I, yeah, same here. But I, I really love how you at made that such a big part of this story, which it does make sense because 
Beerus's race is uh, kind of like Anubis looks kind of yeah. like how Beerus well, does, right? Yeah. In, so. in Egyptian mythology, there was a, a race of people known as the Bastet, and they were essentially cat people. Yeah. Um, so the idea was that they were cursed to be hungry forever. That's why they're super skinny. So Beerus, <laughs> Beerus is a, is a, he's a huge play on a lot of this cat mythology within Egyptian mythology because, as you'll see, Beerus and Champa are constantly hungry. Like, they have to eat yeah. all the time. <laughs> so, like, uh, also, uh, there is a saying amongst the Bostet that if you leave your tribe, like, if so if you're a member of the Bostet tribe and you, yeah. leave the, and you leave the tribe, you leave, like, where you're coming from, like, the village and stuff, you doom the entire village. And that is a curse that Anubis put on uh, yeah. this race of people. Um, yeah, yeah. So... You know, I really wanted to play on that with Beerus's character. Like, all of the cat mythology within Egyptian mythology, I really wanted to... Vostet's also a god in Egyptian mythology. It's a female cat god. But there's also yeah. a race of people in Egyptian mythology who are all cat people. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, like, I really wanted to play on that. Uh, yeah, people like Beerus. seeing about other, like, races and dra Dragon Ball. Like, people like Frieza's race, too, but we don't know much about it. But you touching up on Beerus's was such a, a, a cool idea and a, a, to, to think of to make a big part of of your story. So, yeah, that... that right, was... well, I just figured, you know, it, I wanted to go so far back in time... Yep. That I can do whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. But I also wanted to have that whole, like, warrior-esque theme. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the... So, like, Beerus's civilization is very similar to the Saiyans in a lot of aspects. Yep, yep. And due to that, you know, it's just... Uh, it, it it works. It's, it makes it still feel like Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah. I did get that Saiyan vibe off them, too. Yeah, so... You got that in there, yeah. 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 Which I mean, it makes sense because like Beerus, a lot of the a lot of the uh, aspects of his character that are are defining of his character are just more extreme versions of Vegeta's personality traits. Yeah, that is true. So yeah. in, in that sense, there is uh you know there is a connection between Beerus's antics and Vegeta's and Saiyans and Beerus and yeah know, yeah like uh you know the Saiyans used to conquer planets and sell them destroy planets and sell them and Beerus he just destroys planets he doesn't have to sell yeah, them yeah pretty much same thing you know he runs <laughs> so there is some similarities there to play on too. yeah yeah but yeah once you start catching on to and I think that's another thing. That uh that I wanted to prioritize in, in terms of making the story enjoyable is the references to Dragon Ball Super itself. Oh yeah, yep. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of stuff in the story that you can you can look at it and you can be like, oh, and then you can like it if you read Dragon Ball Infinity and then you read Dragon Ball Super, it feels like it could take place. Yeah, it does. You know what I'm yeah. yeah, like it doesn't fit. It doesn't feel like it's like just some story that somebody made up because they're a fan of Dragon Ball. It feels like something it's that part could of actually the story, take yeah. place. It, yeah, and that's what I wanted to accomplish in that sense. Yeah, you did, definitely. And um, 
Like, the moment, if they ever do anything surrounding, you know, Beerus's parents or something like that, like, I'm just going to be like, damn, the way you did it was better. Probably will. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows if they ever do anything a lot like of people, But a lot of people are really interested in uh, Beerus and Champa's past as well. I was reading through some of the comments. They're like, man, I would love to see more well, about them. Yeah, part of the reason I was so confident to to delve into Beerus and Champa's past is because, personally, I don't think Toriyama will ever do it. Yeah, he probably won't. Not, I don't think he would. Because it's not appealing in terms of the overall continuing narrative of Dragon Ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It is compelling in the sense that we want to know, yep. but it's not compelling in the sense of, is that really a good direction to go with? Yeah. You know, expanding the lore, like, as we move into the future? That would... You know what I mean? I don't think they... See, yeah, yeah, I don't think they can... It's just like, how much... Like, we would love... I'm sure... Every fan would love to have a backstory about Frieza as well. Oh, yeah, and his yeah. Species and his planet. You know what I mean? Yet, we don't get that. We never get that. We never will. And the only way. Really this is, and this is how I see Toriyama going about it. Yeah. The only way that he would actually expand on a character's backstory is if there's another character he decides to make related to that character, triggering different, you know, you know things from a previous story. Just like kind of like how, like you Broly. know... Well, not not even just well, not even just necessarily. Well, yeah, yeah. Broly is a good example. Well, yeah, Broly is an example. Yeah, we got more of the of the history of Planet Vegeta and such, you know, through well through Toriyama's stuff. Even though it was kind of already, you know, a lot of it was already like done in, um, you know, and talked about. Like, was it was just an adaptation of Minus combined with some other, you know, different things, you know, set up like set up in there. But yeah, it did yeah. give us a little bit more of like you know the history. Like why like why were the scouters made? Uh, what like uh, why yep. where were the scouters even introduced? Because I mean, a lot of people before then had the theory that oh, the scouters were made by the uh, by the the tuffles. I believe in, Jap- in Japanese they're called the Sufurians. and um, yeah, yeah, and, and so that because because that was all and that was really only because of the fact that during the flashback that we saw you know or, or in 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 the anime in Z of like the Saiyans taking over them like they. Uh, like they were wearing, they were wearing the scouter. So we thought that that was just simply stolen technology, but it's not. They had they had scopes scopes before then. Yeah. They had like a whole thing, you know, about it like that. And then oh, Toriyama changes up the question even more, making it to where Vegeta is now all of a sudden Vegeta the Fourth. Um, however, however that was. <laughs> right, right. Well, those are the sayings, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like. It's kind of a given that he's going to expand on the backstory of the sayings. To be honest with you. Like, in comparison to the other races and the other characters and stuff like that, it's kind of a given. Yeah. When when they when they, uh, when they they expanded so much on Granola's past and the Cerulean's, that was actually kind of mind-blowing to me. Because, like, we did do that with the Namekians on Namek, that is true. Yeah. But, like, the way, like, that storytelling style uh, and that arc specifically was very different. Because it introduced a character and then immediately went into the history of that character. Yeah. They immediately went into everything that happened in that character's past. Whereas that's normally not how it goes. Normally it takes some time. I mean, Piccolo... Yeah. We didn't find out he was a Namekian until Dragon Ball Z. We didn't find out Goku was a Saiyan until Dragon Ball Z. So it's like... You know, uh, that was sort of jarring to me. Now, I don't think it's necessarily out of character for Toriyama to do it at all, but in terms of the overall narrative aspects of Dragon Ball, it just seems like 
the way the the direction that Toriyama's heading in, he's more so concerned with um just moving forward rather than backwards. Yeah. And that's something I wanted to take advantage of because if I'm moving backwards, I don't have to worry about him moving backwards because he's trying to move forward. Yeah. Right? So Yeah, but then it's just and then I, I think I think the only reason why he did that, because it was just because of the fact that it was, it was at a point where the what Saiyan Pride was was necessary in order for the characters to, to move forward. That was like the whole big thing. Why Bardock, you know, like them learning yeah. that through Bardock. If they if if Bardock yeah. was not like you know involved in there, then it, then they then Vegeta could not have and and Goku could not have moved forward with the proper understanding of Saiyan Pride. There would be no other character at that point who can really teach them that. Well, yeah, I mean, there was multiple reasons why they needed to expand on Granola as a character. For honestly, there yeah. Was, multiple reasons it wouldn't have worked if you didn't mm-hmm. yeah they had to but like but yeah so like normally what Toriyama does is he just introduces a character yeah. so like Taima I just introduced that character I didn't like go and I didn't like explain immediately his backstory or anything like that yeah I just brought you into his world with no context right you didn't have context yeah because one issue that a lot of writers have now there is situations where that context is necessary, like Granola and like Time a few chapters later, whenever you find out where he came from. Yep. That context is necessary to a degree, but if you give too much context, people lose interest. Yeah. Because they because the because that sense of wonder is gone. That sense of like, oh well, where did this character come from? What's he been through? What kind of part you know what I mean? Like Mystery you, is you more have to intriguing. Kind of wonder about these things. And, yeah, and just to, right. and just to clarify for some of you guys, you know, listening into this, like, um, if you've only if you're only coming into this and you've only seen the recent remastered uh, version of Dragon Ball Infinity on Rising Fist Channel, uh, that part where you see Taima's backstory right away was actually just like a bonus thing that comes in that that, that was expanded on in the chapter that actually comes in after the fight that Taima had with Brood, and that uh, it was it was it was a creative decision on on Rising Fist and in order to have that in at the very beginning in the original manga this was uh, when they were this, like when he was a baby this was not like that yeah when he was yeah when he was a baby and like he you know he came he came down through the time yeah that Paul thought Paul thought that telling the story more linearly would be more appealing in terms of uh, the animated version of the event yeah personally. You know, that's not how I tell stories, but I understand why he chose to do it because, like, you know, Taima had already become popular on his channel anyway. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, I understood the logic behind it. It was just like, well, you know, we're trying to expand on a character that we've shown multiple times on the channel before. Yeah, yeah. So let's just go ahead and yeah. throw his backstory in. Yeah, it was a yeah. bad idea. I think either way would have worked good, but yeah, throwing it on there, you learn learn it right away, then jump right into his story. But yeah, I think either way, I think would have been good. Right, especially since it was it, it, it followed two previous animated episodes that were being repeated yeah. in that video. Yep. Like I can I can sort of see why he felt that was necessary. Yeah, and I and yeah, I honestly like, like I did like that touch, you know, kinda of going into it as well. Just like having seen, you know, like the like going into there with like the music and the Broly movie and, and such too. Like there was like even though like the, this was something that's touched on like, you know, like later if you if yep. like if you're reading the the story in chronological order, I think that Having that you know sense of backstory in a way had, brings it brings in another you know sense of appeal that I did really enjoy from that. So I think there's benefits you know in both yeah. ways of telling the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. 
but yeah, uh, but, uh, I love. I, I no, just like. Do you guys have any more questions or? I, yeah, I'm uh, just really enjoying it so far. I'm still uh, like what were you saying? I'm about halfway through it, but I'm I just digging wanna it. Pick your brain. I, I want to know what you guys are interested to know. Honestly, well, I was asking you like... questions throughout it. Yeah, you go, Starblast. I'll 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 give you a question after. <laughs> actually, no, no, hold on. I feel like you've been waiting a while to actually ask questions. So please go ahead. Go go right go right. Well, on. like what I was saying, I was asking him throughout it, but you didn't complete the story yet, right? You're still in no, the process of completing it, and yeah. And what's out right now is just—it's pretty much the first arc to time a story. Yeah. Uh, so chapter ten uh, is what I intend to be the wrap up of this arc. Yeah. I don't know if it'll work out that way because it, because when you're doing the art, when I write the script, yep. I don't know how much art is going to come out of that script. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So it's really hard for me to gauge, you know, how many chapters it's going to be or yada, but the intention is for the next chapter to be the final chapter of this arc. So everything yeah. is out in terms of the first arc, except for this final episode, and I am trying to get it done, but it's difficult because I'm working with two other artists who have issues of their own. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're trying, you know, I want it to come out really good. Like, I'm being, I'm almost being too picky <laughs> yeah, about yeah. how it comes out, <laughs> if I'm being real. Um, so, But you, you want know, to make sure it turns out I am out trying good. to work it out. Yeah. Yeah, I just want the ending to really... I want it to really hit because, yeah. like, the whole entire story, the whole entire first arc is building up to. I already knew where this was going, and this is like one of the most important parts of the story to me. Yeah. So I want it to, you know, I want it to really hit home. But yeah, all everything I'm that's sure out right now it. on webtoons is, <laughs> yeah, everything that's out right now up to, on on webtoons is up to chapter nine. Yeah. So yeah. if you if you've never read DBI and you want to read it, it's on webtoons. Uh, you can read all the way up to chapter nine. You can also go to the Dow of Dragon Ball website. Uh, I've been working with Derek Padula. Yep. Uh, he's a very, very successful writer. I know who he who is. Has published uh, works about Dragon Ball. Um, you can go to his website, and on his website, um, I'm actually doing bonus pages for him that aren't on webtoons. Yeah. So there is a, there is some bonus pages you can see if you go to the Dow of Dragon Ball website if you're curious about that too. Yeah. But on the Dow of Dragon Ball website we are only up to chapter 4 right now, but there is there is some bonus pages. So, you know, if you if you read if you read it through on webtoons and you're curious to see if you missed anything, you can go to the Dow of Dragon Ball website and there is some bonus pages there. Nice. So like for example in the uh, in the the chapter where Brood is training Taima, there's a there's some extra fights in the arena prior to him fighting Brood on the Dow Dragon Ball website. He actually fights a couple of extra that I have to see prior to Brood. <laughs> so yeah, you can go check that out if you're interested in that. Yeah, and uh, say like it keeps like it looks like people really like it. So say it keeps doing good. Would you ever? I don't know if you did this already, but have you made actual, like, copies of the manga? Or is that something my, you plan so, yeah. to do? So my goal is, once we get to once we get to chapter 10, once we have the first arc done, yep. 
I want to make physical copies. But I but I want to do that after the first arc is yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Because because I want to make, and this is just for me. <laughs> yeah. like, it, it, you know, I might gift some copies to people or something like <laughs> yeah. that. But I want to create a leather-bound book. Okay. Ooh. That has the that has the DBI logo on it in gold, mm. which will make it which will make it look sort of like the Book of the Dead from Egyptian. Oh my god! The Book oh, of shit. the Dead has the that's cool. It has the right. Ouroboros on the front of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to create like this leather bound book that has DBI the first arc in yep. it with the with the insignia on it and that's sort of my goal that's what i'm yeah that would be take all of the first arc and put it into one leather bound yeah and you're not just making it a basic cover you're adding some really dope shit to it so (laughs) go ahead star blast yeah here i thought it was gonna be like a uh like like a like like you were gonna make it like the paper both but like yeah yeah, like Uh, something like that like (laughs) well well, no, like, but well, yeah, it's like with the volume, like, no, you're going like super fancy with it too, though. Like, I that's that's just awesome. I, I like that. Yeah. yeah. But as like a collector, you really like stuff like that. It sticks out more compared to a regular manga that's just a regular paperback, even just a hardcover one. Yeah, I probably will make. I probably will make uh, individual chapter copies as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll pro and I probably will end up taking some of those with me to comic conventions. Oh yeah, you gotta. And like having raffles, like one thing I really want to do is I want to take some copies with me to a con, and I want to get a booth. Yep. And I want to have a raffle where people can win free copies. That's a good idea. So I will mm-hmm. eventually do stuff like that as well, but I can't do that until I have uh, chapter ten done yeah. comfortably. Uh, for me, like that's just something I like. Nah. I could have already made physical copies if I wanted to. But yeah, you want to wait till you have the first arc complete, and it, you could read the first part of the story. I I, I understand what you're trying right. to do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, honestly, like when it comes to time, when it comes to time, it's just like I, I I really do feel like a sense of closeness with the character. Like the more that you know, I understand him. It's like it, it, as it as some. Just from voicing his character alone and, like, c- going through, like, the journey throughout the story, it gives me, like, an experience with the character that I feel like is really unique and personal to me um, that I don't think that – because, like, cause, cause, like there's, there's lots of other aspects that I really try to, you know, really to, like, reflect – in the means of like you know which he's voiced like talking about it as well like just because it's it's fun one of the things that i thought you mentioned what was funny is that you you started off the story at the point where taima was at like was at was was 12 uh, no sorry no 13 right before like the uh um, 12 oh yeah it was 12 okay right before like you know he goes through like the saiyan growth spur and i think that that's just like I think that adds a lot to what I was really trying to do, you know, throughout, you know, with the voice acting is that, you know, he starts off all innocent, you know, at the very beginning, you know, like, like talking like that with the, like the lighthearted yeah, yeah. voice. And then later as he gets older, um, I try, you know, kind of making him de- like, you know, deeper, the more that he kind of goes through stuff, the more that, you know, you see him physically age and even get that uh, little bit of like, you know, ha- like hair, under chin hair, well. the chin hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you like, did transition it good though. Yeah, and you did a great job, Heesh. I gotta give you props. You did a great job on the voice acting. Yeah, he has I'm a very proud of of how that whole thing came out. He has a yeah. great main character voice. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, but I appreciate I appreciate it. It's just like I, I I love Taima. I like the story that you're going, and I'm losing sleep at night waiting for you to bring out that next chapter. I really want to see where this story uh, ends up going in the future. So, guys, if there is a possibility that Jordan will finish this story, then go down and 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 give him like two dollars a month on his Patreon or something. Help the guy out to keep it yeah. keep it funding so that you know the arc can be finished and. Then later down the line, hopefully the the future uh, chapters will be animated, which will be a very fun yes. uh, thing thing to do. Anyways, yeah, any if you've never thoughts? seen it, yeah, if you've never uh, read it or seen it, I definitely recommend it. I'm not even halfway through it yet, and I'm I'm really enjoying the story so far. So I definitely recommend checking it out if you're a fan of Dragon Ball and just love that type of stuff. Plus, you have. Jordan's unique mind writing it as well. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Any final? I really appreciate you guys having me on. That's my final thoughts. I really appreciate. It. Uh, no problem. You guys want me to come on here and talk about my story? I'll talk about it for hours. <laughs> <laughs> so. No, I think. Yeah, we like having you on. You have the most guest appearances as of now. Yeah, as of now. <laughs> And most likely later in the future, we we'll probably will bring you on for it again. But yeah, of course, Jordan, yes. as you like as usual, you know, thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you so much for telling us about the story. And if you guys do, yep. uh, like want to listen to other podcasts and other episodes that Jordan have has been in, you know, check out the other check out the other episodes where we talked about uh, the differences between Eastern and Western philosophy, and then the also Gohan. the character video on Gohan. Yeah. Anyways, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Yeah. Uh, also, also, uh, also, check out my YouTube. Yes, channel. Jordan the Dragon I Lee. Down, I break down all of this kind of stuff that inspires me from Dragon Ball. I, uh, I, you know, I, yep. I point out all the references of Journey to the West and stuff like that in Dragon Ball. So go check that out too. I'd really appreciate. it. I work really hard on my content on that channel. You do. Yeah, it does. The link do. will pop up at the end of the video. A card might pop up as well, and the link will be in the description also. So be sure to check out his channel. Very informative Dragon Ball uh, information on his channel. I, I watched plenty of his videos. So check it out. Check it out. <laughs> All right, guys. Without any further ado, we will see you guys in the comment section. Until then. Thanks for listening to our episode. If you're on YouTube and watch the video, then thank you for watching as well. We are your hosts, Starblast Studios, and me, Daredevil19. And if you enjoyed our episode on Spotify, be sure to give us a follow and a rating. And we do thank you. And if you did watch this on YouTube, be sure to give a like if you liked it, and a subscribity scribe if you enjoyed it. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Plastic Power Podcast. Uh...